With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Some material may be disturbing and we use adult language. Listener discretion is advised. If you love the show, be sure to hit subscribe so that you never miss new episodes. And if you want to support the show, please visit www.patreon.com slash killerqueenspod, where as little as $3 a month gets you early access to shows and amazing additional content. Now on to today's case. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Welcome back. Stop. Or, <laughs> stop just copying me. Stop just copying me. Okay. Oh, my God. Or um, welcome for the first time. Yes. In which case, sorry for what you just had to witness. Yeah. Okay. Either way, welcome. Yes. Now that part's over. Okay. Now we will begin. So we're talking. Oh. Oh. Uh-oh. You go. Uh-oh. Excuse me. Um, we're talking about Natalie Wood today. Natalie Wood. Yep. Yep. Sweet, beautiful lady. So we're going to start it at Thanksgiving weekend, 1981, Catalina Island. And it's an island off of the coast of Southern California. Yes. During the summer, it's a big tourist area. But in the winter, not as many people there, of course, because I don't know who likes to go to the beach in the winter. Some people do, I guess. But well, obviously, Natalie Wood, Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken. Yes. But anyway, anyway, um, so it's mostly just locals and a lot of them live on their own boat. And at 1.30 a.m. Sunday morning, Don Whiting, the manager of the restaurant Doug's Harbor Reef, hears this voice on a ship to shore radio, which he recognizes. And it was local yachter and TV star Robert Wagner. And Wagner said, this is Splendor. We need help. Someone is missing from the boat. Hours before the call, Whiting had served Wagner at the restaurant. Um, So they came in on Saturday night, and it was Robert Wagner, his wife, Natalie Wood, and actor Christopher Walken. Well, they're all actors, but they had been in, and they were drinking wine and laughing and talking about films. And by the time they had finished eating dinner, they were so drunk that Don had to call the doc to make sure that they got safely, or that they safely got to the dinghy, and the dinghy had gotten to the Splendor. And he was worried from the beginning about their safety because they were partying it up. Yeah. They were popping bottles. Yeah. You get a glass of wine and you get a glass of wine. <laughs> just just wine everywhere. Wine everywhere. So after he heard the call for help from Wagner, Whiting went to the house of the man responsible for operations at the local port. And his name was Doug Odin, and he's a harbor master. Which, that sounds like a legit title. Oh, yeah. Harbor master. That's what I'm going to be when I grow up. Hilarious. I'll you could like, never. You do not have what it takes to be harbor master. I could say stuff like, starboard. <laughs> I actually don't know what that means, so you're ahead of me. I but, like it in the stern. Oh. <laughs> <Remember>? <laughs> yes, on <Chandler>. friends. <laughs> I 
did it again. Yeah. Always friends. Yeah. Always friends. Um, I feel like there was one episode that we did where we talked about a dinghy and you were like, that's not a thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, we did. And I thought you were fucking with me. And yeah. here we are. I'm going to, we're going to say dinghy no less than 50,000 times. I know it's heavy on the dinghies on this episode. Little did I know? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, little did I know dinghy was a thing. <laughs> and then second, little did I know there's an H in there. Oh, I didn't know that at all. It's a dinghy. I've been spelling it all wrong. Per the I internet, guess so dingy would be without the H. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huh. And dinghies are not dingy. <laughs> well, some could be. I suppose that's true. Yeah. So anyway, let's get back to it. So Doug Odin, harbor master, opened the door and saw Don Whiting, and Don had a concerned look on his face and said that Natalie Wood was missing. And at that time, so I did not, I've never heard the name Natalie Wood, personally. No. Yeah, not until... Until we looked into this case, yes. But she was a Hollywood icon. Like, she was big in Hollywood at that point. Yeah, for sure. And But she played alongside, like, a lot of people that were... It was just before our time. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is so 81. That's when she went missing, so... Yeah, we weren't even born yet. No. Weren't even a twinkle in my daddy's eye. Nope. So, yeah, let's get into who Natalie Wood was. Yes. Born Natalia, oh gosh, Zakarenko? I think that's good. Yeah. Okay. On July 20th, 1938, she was born in San Francisco. She was the second of three girls born to her Russian immigrant parents, Maria and Nikolai. Her father was a carpenter and her mother was a homemaker. And this kind of reminded me of Game of Thrones, like when Cersei has the whole thing with the fortune teller. Mm-hmm. Um, but a fortune teller predicted that Maria's second born would be a star. She also predicted that she would die in water. Isn't that weird? That's super weird. And I'm not really one to like buy into that kind of stuff. I think it's very fun and interesting, but I'm yeah. not like, you know, going to consult the cards before I leave the house. But that's fucking crazy that that's she was really so... Creepy dead on about it yeah and like because natalie's biggest fear was drowning and like open dark water yeah she was terrified of water but she wasn't even born yet when this woman said this so it's like it's not like maria walked in there and was like here's my daughter she's terrified of water predict our future like exactly yeah it was really weird maria did everything she could to make sure that happened so once she heard that her second born was going to be a star she was like game on basically Mm -hmm. (laughs) when natalie was four maria moved the family north of san francisco to the town of santa rosa which was a popular filming location and she was hoping that natalie would be discovered there lana wood natalie's sister recalled a time when they met a director and he asked natalie's mom if natalie would take an ice cream cone and walk across the street drop the ice cream and cry and maria said yes she can (laughs) so um, i think she was enthusiastic sure yeah if if i had to guess so we can yes we can and then he was like is it cool if she gets a membership to the tanning bed just for a base just for a base tan (laughs) just a little membership and she was like yes she can (laughs) just kidding that's from it's always sunny. Yeah. Little DB. Yeah. They want to make him a star. The director encouraged her to keep up the acting and she pretty much did. 
she was working her entire childhood. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how child actors, how there's not more. I mean, it's basically like a sweatshop, but not in a sweatshop. Well, they have like some pretty strict rules now where they have to, they can only work a certain amount of hours in a day and they have to have schooling, you know, like you can't just like take off of school to do that kind of stuff. I mean, I think you can do it for a little bit, but if you're like on a set for an extended amount of time, you have to have a tutor there. and like Yeah, that's just a lot of, I don't know, it just completely takes away your childhood. Like, yeah. when do you get to just go outside and fucking like, you know, play around in the dirt and like... Well, some children don't want to. Some people, some children want to audit their parents. That's true. And they will find discrepancies. Yes. In June 1944, the entire family moved to L.A. because, duh, <laughs> she's going to get big. She's going to have to go to L.A., I guess. They got a call and were asked if Natalie could go in and do a screen test for a film called Tomorrow is Forever with Orson Welles, and Natalie got the role. Mm-hmm. By 1945, she had a contract with International Pictures, and she changed her name to Natalie Wood, which is so much easier to pronounce. Yes. I'm pretty sure I butchered her real name. (laughs) Two years later, she landed her first leading role. She played Susan Walker in Miracle on 34th Street. And as a child, she charmed the public. She was adorable. Um, But off screen, she had a troubled childhood. So her mom pushed her to be perfect, learn all of her lines, take on tons of responsibility at the age of seven. And over the next eight years, she starred in 20 films. That's insane. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's too much that's way too much yeah like when did she sleep basically that's crazy it's like two point something films a year that's so much pressure for a small child well and that just sounds like a stage mom you know where they're like um, yeah i don't know i just i don't like it i mean i don't want to like judge anybody's parenting but I don't like that. I think that's too much. Well, I mean, she was, in fact, robbed of her childhood. Yeah. And that's just sad. I don't know. I think that there are certain life phases that everybody needs to experience or else they it it comes out later, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and who is it for? Right. Is it because Natalie loved it so much or is it because you're living vicariously through her? Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I don't know which one it was, but I mean, it seemed like Natalie did enjoy acting because it was what she did with her whole life, but... But it could also be that that's all she knew. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it may have been how she tied her value. Like, she may have felt like that's how she got love from her parents, or at least from her mom. Mm -hmm. So maybe she would push and push and push to do better because... She thought she had to. Mm -hmm. The biggest break for her to transition into adult acting was in 1955 in the movie Rebel Without a Cause alongside James Dean. I did not realize that James Dean died later that year in a car accident driving his Porsche Spider and was killed instantly in a head-on collision with another vehicle. So... He, I read a report that said he had gotten a speeding ticket two hours before that, and he was like, fuck that, mm-hmm. and just kept going, and he was only 24 years old. Well, and the road that he was driving on is a super windy, like, um, mountainside next to the ocean. That's what, like, scares me about having two boys, 
is they boys go through that phase where they're like, I'm invincible. Mm -hmm. Nothing can hurt me. And didn't James Dean, wasn't one of his quotes like live fast, die young or something like that? Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know if it was or not, but he did that. He sure did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. That wasn't his quote. It sure was. I don't know a lot about James Dean, but I do know that um, he did live fast and die young. Sure. So Natalie fought super hard for that role, and she was nominated for an Oscar for her part in the film. Soon she became a huge star and signed a major contract with Warner Brothers Pictures. So at some point during all of this, she is going to meet Robert Wagner. I just want to interject here. Excuse me. The James Dean quote is, dream as if you'll live forever, live as if you'll die today. Oh, profound yes but he also did die one day so yeah i mean i think i'm more so live um like i don't want to be an insurance claim statistic <laughs> right i'm a little more on the ben stiller's Overly character cautious. from along came Polly. <laughs> what is the probability that i will die during this i i cannot even count how many times i've asked that question <laughs> roller coasters no I know. I'm just not going to do those anymore. Well, and I'm, I mean, I love a roller coaster. I'll do a roller coaster, but I sure won't like go roller skating. I could, I could break all kinds of things doing that. And you absolutely will because we are now old. Yeah. We're in our thirties, which means you yeah. sneeze the wrong way and you're fucked for 20 years. Yeah. And you have like a home Advil and a purse Advil. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Oh, man. Okay, so Natalie and Robert's relationship. So in 1956, the studio introduced her to the man that would change her life, and that man was Robert Wagner. I would argue that he did not change her life in the most positive of ways. Well, I don't think that you're wrong. Yeah. But let's not spoil it. Okay. So she was 18 years old, and Wagner was 26 years old. And I feel like... That's a pretty big age difference, but he when you're definitely looked much older than her. Like, oh yeah, he's just kind of got one of those faces that's always been like a uh, middle-aged man. Yeah, face, yeah, you know. Real. Well, and when they first met, like the first time they met each other, which would be when they first met. Was that yeah? Was that when they first met, or like, like when they met the first time? She was ten, and he was eighteen. And they, like, saw each other in a hallway of a production studio or whatever they're called. I don't know. That's pretty gross. Yeah. And so, um, and he said that she told him that she remembered meeting him that time, but he didn't remember meeting her and that he didn't really say much to her, but she said he smiled at her or something. But she always remembered it. And she told her mom that one day she was going to marry him and she did. Hmm. I don't know. It's like... It's like Katie Holmes and Tom Cruise. It's like she was watching him on TV when yeah, she, when was, she little. was a little girl and then she got to marry him. And I'm like, it's kind of gross. Yeah, it's pretty weird. I don't like That's it. just a big age difference. But people make it work all the time. Celine and Renee made it work. That's true. Although I do have reservations about when they first got together. But they made it work. That's all I'm saying. I think he really did love her. I think so, too. I don't think it was a creepy thing. But this is creepy because of the other things and the implications. Yeah, lots of implications. So they got together on a studio arranged date, which I've heard of that happening, but I just, it's just kind of crazy to me still that they, I mean, I guess, I don't know if they still do it. So the I feel studio like they do. is like, this could be a good. Yes. 
Like this is really going to bolster both of their careers because you know, he's hot right now. She's hot right now. They're adorable. Let's stir some shit up. Let's get uh, the uh, tabloids like talking. America's sweetheart, like the Gwen and <laughs> yes. what was his name in the movie? I don't remember. I forget. But yeah, they were like, they were America's sweethearts. Yeah. And they got to make a lot of spinoff movies because of it. Yes. And wow. like, yeah, I was like, let's give them something to talk about <laughs> show business is crazy but that that's how i heard or that's i heard that that is how Brittany and uh, justin got together it was kind of and jessica and nick really yes i mean i don't know if there's if anybody can confirm it or i deny it i don't know but that's what i heard hmm. interesting and they gave us two really great couples to watch in complete denim outfits. It was amazing. <laughs> yes. So she was immediately smitten with him, which we've already discussed, but yeah. still. So a year after their first date, they got married on December 28th, 1957. They divorced in 1962 and Wood later married British producer Richard Gregson and the couple had a daughter, Natasha, together in 1970. She and Gregson split the following year and then she reunited with Wagner in 1972 and they remarried so that seems very Hollywood to me <laughs> for them yeah. to just get remarried Wood then gave birth to their daughter Courtney in 1974 24 years after meeting Robert Wagner Natalie Wood is now missing so let's get back to 1981 so this is the search for Natalie and the first quote-unquote investigation. And sorry about it, police, but I'm using air quotes. <laughs> yeah. You could have so, done better. Could have done better. Doug Odin, the port master. I thought he was the harbor master. He's, he wears many hats. Oh, he's a busy man. Said that it wasn't uncommon for people to be reported missing or not make it back to their boats on time. So, and usually I guess they would just find them places I guess. Other I mean, places? I don't, I don't know. He and Don Whiting got in a boat and met Robert Wagner on the Splendor. And on board, there was Robert Wagner, the boat's captain, Dennis Deverne. Mm -hmm. I always feel like I'm going to say his name wrong. And Christopher Walken, who we all know. Right. Who Christopher Walken. We'll sail with that. <laughs> oh, that's because of this. Oh. Go ahead eerie I know. natalie got to know christopher walken because they were in a sci-fi movie together called brainstorm and she invited him to spend thanksgiving with them on the boat i'm i that's kind of weird to me i don't know why i mean i guess they worked together and they were like she was like why don't you come have thanksgiving with us on the boat i don't know but that was her she had been kind of taking a step back from acting at that point and she was getting back into it. And so she was looking for that like role that was going to be her big comeback role. And she chose that because Christopher Walken was like super hot at that point. He was like really gearing up and he was super popular and she wanted to do something that was going to be like her big comeback. Christopher Walken at that point looks so different than the Christopher Walken that I know. I know. Cause it's like when they talk about, you know, that Robert Wagner was worried that she was having an affair with Christopher Walken. At first, I'm like, 
<laughs> what? Yeah, why? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's because I only imagine him as like what he is now. Yeah, exactly. I, I could never imagine him being sexy to anybody. Right. Like, I can only see him in Fat Boy Slim's video, Weapon yes. of Choice. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a wonderful video. It really was. So, um, according to Lana Wood, which is Natalie's younger sister, Mm -hmm. and Dennis DeVerne, who is the captain of the yacht, everyone tried to keep them from going on the boat that weekend. The weather was horrible, and Lana was like, she said that her daughter Natasha kept asking her not to go too, and she's like, Mama, I just don't want you to go on the boat this weekend. She's like, well, we've already made the plans. We've already invited Christopher. It's a done deal. It was like very important that they go on the boat that weekend for some reason so weird yeah and dennis said he kept telling him like why don't we do it another time he's like the weather is terrible nobody's gonna want to be out on the water like it's freezing it's raining yeah what is even the point i mean i guess if you're like super into boating it does not matter what the conditions are you just want to be out on the boat but isn't it kind of the same as like going to the beach and staying in your hotel room the whole time right that's what i would think doesn't make any sense and like like just do it at home i just don't understand yeah or if you want to get away for the weekend then go away for the weekend but maybe not out on the water like because what they spent most of their time doing was going back up to the harbor and going to restaurants and shit yeah exactly you could do that not on a boat right i don't know yeah everybody just said it was super weird like the weather was terrible why are you so adamant about going and they were like absolutely there's no there's no other options. We're going. So they went. And once they were on the boat, Odin realized that. So once they were on the boat, as far as the investigation goes, or they're looking for her, Odin realizes that one of the watercrafts was also missing, which is the dinghy. <laughs> and Odin started asking questions. Did Natalie know how to operate the boat? Does anyone else know, or did she know anyone else in the area that she would have gone to? And according to Robert Wagner, she wasn't comfortable jumping in the boat and going off by herself. She wouldn't have done that type of thing normally. So it didn't make sense that she's gone and the dinghy's gone. And nobody else is gone. Like, it's not like somebody took her somewhere. Right. Normally that would have been Dennis, but he was there. So finally at 3.30, they alert the Coast Guard but the nearest outpost is miles away. So Doug Odin organizes his own search party and he tells Don Whiting, who is the, that's the owner of the restaurant, mm-hmm. to go out in his own boat to look for Natalie. So they've basically got a search party going out. Um, I have to say one thing about Doug Odin. Amazing mustache. Oh. That man has an, an impressive, very like Kurt Russell from... Um, what is it? Hateful Eight? Yeah. Mustache. Okay. I like that. It's nice. I feel like if you're going to be a harbor master, that's a necessity. Oh, for sure. That's a prerequisite. That stash says, I'm the boss. It says success and powerful. Sure. Yeah. I like it. I like it. It's, a, it's his success mustache. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Since the only things that were missing were Natalie and the dinghy, they started thinking about places that the dinghy would go. So the weather was terrible. It was pitch black. They couldn't see anything. And they searched for hours and hours and they found nothing. But then there was a glimmer of hope. At about 5.15, they spotted the dinghy. It was near the shore. And at that point, they think, okay, we found her. We found the dinghy. She's going to be with it. Exactly. Because where else is she going to be? 
she can't she can't swim right that's the thing too yeah she she's never learned to swim so on top of being afraid of the water she hadn't been equipped to handle that fear and it's just so crazy to me that they why i don't know i mean i guess there are certain situations where even though you have no idea what the fuck you're doing you're gonna go do it anyway why did she need to be on the water all the time? Like, if you're terrified of the ocean, why? But, I mean, yeah. I guess that was to make Robert happy. And I heard in an interview or something that she said that the happiest times of their marriage were when they were on the Splendor. Oh. When there was no other people around. You know, it was, like, just them. That's when they were the happiest. So maybe it was just she dealt with it and she knew that she didn't actually have to get in the water. And maybe because it was a yacht, she felt safer. It was bigger. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that's a good way to conquer your fear. But, you know, but with a boat that big, I mean, I feel like if I was really scared of water, which I'm only partially scared of water, but if I was really scared of water, probably a bigger boat, you feel safer because it just seems more sturdy. Right. Like, you feel like there's a lot more separation between yeah, you and the water. Yeah, I can see that. It's like being on an apartment on the water or something. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So they think that they found Natalie and they go up to the dinghy and she's not in there. And Doug Odin then called Doug Bombard. Is that how you pronounce it? I guess. Bombard? an experienced boater and told him it was an emergency. And Odin then tells Wagner that they found the dinghy, but no Natalie. And Wagner was super upset. And he said that she was very scared of the water. She didn't know how to swim. Dung Bombard goes to where they found the dinghy. Dung. Huh? You called him Dung. Did I really call him Dung? Yeah, like a dung beetle. Whoops. Sorry, Doug. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, in my mind, it was for sure Doug, not Dung. You're like, but, hey, let's call uh, Dung over here. And he's like, hey, it's Doug. And you're like, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what his nicknames are. It could have been Dung. I don't That's know. True. Okay, so Dung. Dung comes. goes to where they found the dinghy. Yes. And he was searching for anything. Because, um, you know, he's like going back and forth. Like, this is where he found it. It's got to be somewhere in the area. So he's searching, searching, searching. And then he sees something red in the water. And, of course, his heart sinks because he's like. If it's in the water, it's probably bad. Totally. So then he goes over to it, and it was Natalie's body face down in the water. And she was wearing the same thing that she was wearing the night um, that night before that they had said they saw her in. So it was this red fleece um, jacket thing that she was wearing. So then Dung... It was a down jacket. It was a down jacket. Sorry, not fleece. I'm thinking performance fleece from Old <laughs> Navy. Um, so Dung goes back to the yacht and tells Wagner what he found and Wagner was then asked to identify the body and Wagner was like I'm not gonna do it I'm actually gonna have Doug or Dennis Deverne go do it for him yeah and they were like you know we knew who we had found but it's procedure somebody has yeah. to identify the body it's just and so Robert's strange. like no I'm just not gonna do that I mean I don't know it's one of those things where I mean, we always say this, it's a slippery slope Yeah. to say what you would do or what you should do. Some people just can't, they can't like face see it, see their loved ones that way. Right. Um, and Dennis talked about it or I don't know, maybe it was, maybe it was dumb. I don't know who it was, but they said that 
you know, this was supposed to be the love of his life. And he, after, like, immediately after this, he goes back to Beverly Hills to his house. And they're like, we thought he would have wanted to, like, see her one last time or kind of like say, say goodbye. goodbye. Yeah. yeah. And he was just like, nope. Dennis, you handle it. Bye. Yeah. It's just so, I don't know. I mean, yeah, exactly. What can you, can you say what you would say or not, but, or what you would do or not, but I just think it's weird. Yeah. So then the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department opens an investigation, quote unquote, to find out what happened to Natalie Wood, of course. Detective Dwayne, people were saying this name so differently in the documentary. It was Rasher or Rasher. I'm going to say Rasher. Rasher? So many people said Rasher, and I was like, I'm going to go with Rasher, personally. Yeah, that's That's what I'm going to say. It's Rasher. So Dwayne Rasher was brought in, and he interviewed Robert Wagner, and his story was that they were all in the boat drinking. Then Natalie gets up, and she went into the main stateroom, which was where Robert and Natalie were sleeping. He went in to check on her, and she just wasn't there. So then he looks around the yacht and sees that the dinghy was missing and he just assumed well she's must she must have just gone to shore and that was kind of like it which doesn't doesn't make any fucking sense at all because anybody who knows natalie said she was terrified of the water she never ever ever not one time did anybody ever see her get into the dinghy by herself drive the dinghy by herself, drive any part of the boat by herself. Like they said, sometimes she'd, you know, get at the helm for a couple minutes. Like if Andrew and I are cruising on the boat, you know, good, I'll, I'll stand there and like man it for a second so he can go get a beer or whatever, but I'm not going to drive the thing. No. Like, cause I don't know. Well, you saw what happened. Oh yeah. That <laughs> was the worst thing. I bounced ever off happened. everything, but it's <laughs> like a pinball. <laughs> I was stuck. Anyway, but so like, but if you're cruising and you're going like a, you know, whatever you can. How many knots? (laughs) 14 knots. Okay. (laughs) Full speed ahead. But you know, just don't move it too much and you're fine basically coasting, yeah. yeah but she would not have been like okay i'm gonna go me and the girls are gonna go take the boat right. out or well okay but let's take it even further and let's i'm gonna relate it back to me in my life so <laughs> if steven and i are in the house together sure. and i'm not scared to drive i'm not scared to go places by myself if we were hanging out at home and he's in his office and I'm in my quote unquote office, which is basically just my 90s room where I just watch all the Mary Kate and Ashley movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he walked out of his office and then just glanced in my room and I was gone. And then he checked the whole rest of the house and I was gone. And then my car was gone. He wouldn't be like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I guess that's how that's going to go. He'd fucking call me. He'd look for me. Like, it's yeah. not just something that you just like accept and then move on. Yeah. If somebody's supposed to be where they're supposed to be, especially at midnight, on a fucking yacht. Yeah, and the this was another thing I thought was a little strange or just nobody ever said why they chose to do this, but the first night that they were there, they stayed up on a part of the island that was they were docked off of Avalon Harbor, which is like kind of a bustling area. It is the tourist destination. Mm-hmm. So that's like where again, it was it was a colder month. So there weren't as many people there, but that's where like there's more stuff around and there's more restaurants. It's more well lit. Like you can see more. There's more visibility, all that kind of stuff. So it just makes more sense to be out and about in that area. Yeah. Like again, for her, it wouldn't, but it would make more sense. But where they were that night, 
they traveled from that part of the island down to the isthmus, which was deserted. Oh, I like that word, isthmus, isthmus, isthmus. <laughs> makes me feel like I have a lisp. <laughs> yeah, it's like that nurse anesthetist. Yes, I hate saying that. It's too many vowel or uh, consonants. Yeah, because I know <laughs> what it is, but it makes me sound like I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um. But that area was pretty much pitch black. It was almost completely deserted. It well, was very form secluded. A search party that night because it was so so dark that no one could see anything. Yeah, and there's nobody around. The only thing that was there at all was that Don Whiting's restaurant. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing there. Yeah. So if she had gone back by herself, where was she going? The only place she could have gone would have been the restaurant. And at that point, obviously closed. Yeah, it's not open. So the only other option would be to wind up somewhere random on shore, Hmm. which is not safe. And it was fucking freezing. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make any sense. Nope. So then Detective Rasher uh, interviewed Christopher Walken and Walken basically supports everything that Wagner said. Same thing, totally true, that's what happened. Yeah, he doesn't deviate at no. all. Then Detective Rasher sets out to interview the captain, Dennis Deverne. And so then we get some background on when they bought the boat. So in 1974, Robert Wagner buys the 60-foot yacht, which they named the Splendor. Yeah. And then they asked Dennis to come on and captain the boat and take them wherever they wanted to go. So he was, like, on staff all the time. Yeah, he was taking them everywhere they went on that boat for six years. He did the maintenance on it. That was, like, his boat. Yeah. So they got to know him very well from all those trips on the boat. So Deverne gave Detective Rasher an overview of the weekend, and he, in a very, very broad, like, Mm -hmm. highlights of that, of the weekend, saying that it was a pleasant weekend, and then she was gone. I'm like, wow, um, he really dug deep in that one. Yeah. He said he could tell that Rasher did, um, or he said he could tell that Deverne wanted no part in the conversation and basically that he needed to get a lawyer if he was going to participate any further. So that's something we've discussed before again, slippery slope. When you lawyer up, and I, I get why you might, but it also lends a little um, suspicion or guilt. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like, well, Robert Wagner what happened. lawyered up immediately too. Yeah. So as soon as he got back to Beverly Hills, he gets a lawyer. And yeah, again, I think that's what you should do. Yeah. I think you should get a lawyer, but it does look weird. Well, and when you're giving like, well, I, I, I saw her and then she was gone. I need a lawyer. Like, that's so strange. Yeah, it's weird. Everybody had a great time. I don't know what happened. Like, but also the, we'll talk, we'll get into more detail about it, but the links that Robert Wagner was going to, to stave off suspicion of him is very strange. So you couple that with, I think getting a lawyer in and of itself is what you're supposed to do. It's the right thing to do. Totally, yeah. And in and of itself, it's not. It's not nefarious, but these words you're using, my God, somebody cracked open the old thesaurus, (laughs) Uh, Mount Vesuvius. (laughs) 
Now that's an igneous rock formation. <laughs> um, so, Another friend's quote there. Yeah, yeah. I can't stop. Yeah. Um, but in and of itself, it's not, it's not nefarious. But when you partner that with all of the other things that he was doing and all of these really weird links that he was going to, just to make sure that nobody thought he had anything to do with it, is it adds up. It all kind of makes a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more of why are you doing this? This yeah. is strange. And we'll we'll go into more detail. But um, he lawyered up. He made sure that Dennis Deverne lawyered up. And they pretty much, I don't want to say they weren't cooperative at all, but they were definitely not given the whole story. Yeah. They were just, they were sticking to a script. Mm-hmm. which Robert Wagner knows how to do. It was suspicious, and it was precocious. Oh. It was not precocious at all. I don't all. know what that word Yeah, means. I was just trying to throw out another <laughs> word. But hopefully no one else knows what that word means either. Yeah. Um, so Detective Rasher did get one piece of evidence from all three witnesses, and they all said that she was missing by midnight, but no one called for help until at 1.30 a.m. So apparently, and they didn't even. It wasn't even like he called the Coast Guard at one thirty. No, he called the fucking restaurant Don Whiting at one thirty. Yeah. I mean Odin. I mean Whiting. Whiting. Oh gosh, Dung, Dung Odin. No, that's Bombard. Oh, Don Whiting though is the restaurant. Don owner. Whiting, Doug Odin, Dung Bombard. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. So yeah, he calls Don Whiting, and he doesn't say like man overboard or. You know, whatever you would say. He just says... <laughs> SOS. Yeah, he just says, hey, somebody's missing from the boat. Uh, would you keep an eye out for her? Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. she's wandered up there. Like You're like, what? Very calm, very, you know... Yeah. Just, if you see someone, let someone know. Yeah, we're not worried about it. It's not a big deal. Yeah. But just if you see her, let her know we're asking about her. Sure, exactly. So, apparently... This is what Robert Wagner said. He had not wanted to alert the patrol because he didn't want it to hit the papers. He didn't want tabloids to get a hold of it, yeah. make it this big, huge thing that Natalie Wood is missing. So then Rasher decides to go through the yacht and finds a broken wine bottle on the floor. And he sees that the main staterooms where Christopher Walken and Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner were staying were in complete disarray, like clothes thrown all about. And he was like, it looked like something happened. There was more than just like going to bed and then she's missing. Like, right. Something happened in there. It seems like a, a fight or something like that. So the chief medical examiner, Dr. Thomas Naguchi, he was known as the coroner to the stars, which it's amazing to me horrible. that there has to be a coroner to the, well, yeah, I mean, it's a fact of life, um, but it's just true. weird. I don't know. Yeah. I never, that's, um, I can't imagine little baby Thomas Noguchi um, thought to himself when he was a teeny tiny little pup that he wanted to be the coroner to the stars, but yeah. he really made it. It was like when all those people die. I'm going to look at That's him. me. Yep. There I am. Yeah. Although, I guess, what does a coroner want to do? Look at dead bodies. That's what they want to do. They need to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Sure. And here he is. So one of his biggest cases was Mrs. Marilyn Monroe. And at the time of the autopsy, Natalie was wearing a flannel nightgown. She was wearing no underwear at all. Wool knee socks and the red down jacket that we 
kind of talked about and I messed up and said fleece. Yeah, you tried to call it fleece. I just love a fleece jacket. And am, am I wrong for loving fleece? I mean, it will keep you warm. It That's sure will. for damn sure. Yes. And I would think that if it got soaking wet, it wouldn't weigh you down. It's a down, light weight. Yeah, down seems like a very... I think it would keep you very warm. But it would also make you sink like seems a rock. very heavy. Yes. So, and they said when the the clothing, because of course, you know, they take her clothes off of her, it was still wet the whole next day because it was that soaked, you know? It was completely absorbed with water. It took it so long to dry out. Yeah. Which just tells you how much water she took on and how heavy maybe the clothing was. But yeah. So she had a lot of bruises on her body and on her face. And she had a blood alcohol content of 0.14, which is way over the legal limit for driving, even at that point. I don't know when they've changed all this stuff because I know, like, I don't even know if they changed the legal limit for the blood alcohol content, but, you know, ages and things like that have changed since then. So Um, the day after her body was found, Noguchi holds a press conference and he said that Natalie was trying to get into the dinghy. This is what he thinks had happened based on. The Wagner's bruises account and, and yes, yeah. exactly. So he said she must have been trying to get into the dinghy. She slipped and because her down jacket was soaked, she could not, she didn't have enough strength to get herself back into the dinghy. And also she was incredibly intoxicated. So that probably played a big part in her trying to get herself back into the dinghy and couldn't do it. Right. So at the end of it, The verdict that he reached was that it was an accidental drowning. There was no foul play. And he said that the bruises that she had on her, because there were some on her arms, her legs, she had bruises everywhere. Yeah. That they occurred when she had slipped into the water after or out of the dinghy. Mm -hmm. So he also let it slip, though, in the press conference that there was a fight that had broken out on the yacht between Wagner and Walken. And that Natalie was trying to get away from it and had attempted to go back to shore. So that was yeah. like the motive for leaving. Yeah, he, he what he was trying to do was give a reason why she would leave the boat. But then everybody else thought is- that he was. Yeah, he thought that he was kind of taking suspicion away. Like, no, it makes sense because they got in a fight, and then everybody was like, "What? They yeah. got in a fight? <laughs> What's that about?" And then yeah. there's way more questions it and answers at that there. point. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, I think that that might be a good place to stop um, episode one and pick back up for episode two. Uh-oh. I know. Cliffhanger. I love a good cliffhanger when I'm the one supplying it, not the one getting it. I don't enjoy oh my cliffhanger God, on my I, know. I really it. get pissed when I'm watching something. I'm like, you're fucking kidding me. I have to wait a week. To be continued. However, if you don't want to wait a week, you can always join the Patreon and get it right now. Way to sell it, Terrell. I love that. That was nice. Hey, girl. Shameless plug. <laughs> so, yeah. We'll catch you next week with part two. Or catch you on the Patreon right after this. Yeah. See you soon. Either way. Okay, bye. TTYL. Get in on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Killer Queens Podcast and join our Facebook discussion group at Killer Queens Podcast where we discuss cases covered on the show and all things 90s. If you want to submit a case to be covered on the show, visit www.killerqueenspodcast.com slash case submission and complete the form. If we cover the case, we'll even give you a shout out on the show. Killer Queens is researched, mixed, and mastered by our own damn selves. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. And our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Lila's! Lila's. <laughs>